Hello, Center fans. Thank you for making the choice to listen to the man with the caramel voice. It's me, Devin. And today we have a very special show for you. This is going to be a three-part extravaganza. So typically, whenever we have a special guest, we ask them a series of questions. The first question being, what are your top three favorite TV shows? The next question is, what are your top three favorite films? And the last one is, what are your top, what is your top guilty pleasure? But since we don't have a special guest and we're all a bunch of self-absorbed assholes, we're going to tell you what we like today. So without further ado, we have the man from Joliet, whose beard is most certainly not weird, Sterling. I think I have just the most perfect of beards. And uh, but as I found out this weekend that I do have a special saying that I need to say uh, just essentially during this part, um, there is if anybody doesn't know, there's actually a book of Sterling and uh, the section of the book of Sterling 316 says you're a piece of shit. So I'm going with that. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> No follow up. That's good. That's good. Oh, man. Uh, wow. And also, we have the macho man of podcasting, Justin. Hey, Cine fans, it's your resident wrestler. Yes, sir. And when I'm not marching to the ring with my flag, jumping in there, beating up somebody, I'm watching and reviewing movies with you guys. How's everybody doing? And last but not least, the woman you should most definitely do some research on before making any comments about her personal life, Heather. <laughs> hey, everybody. Thanks for joining. Um, super excited for this uh, podcast we're doing and um, the series that we'll be doing on it just because it'll help you get to know us a little bit better. So thanks for listening. So without further ado, she who was last shall now be first. Heather, what? Are your top three TV shows? Top three TV shows. So I have to go with my all-time favorite because it's something I've seen many, many times over and over again. It would have to be Friends. I love that show. It's super quotable. It's relatable. Um, a lot of my dialogue with other friends is um, you know, quotes from the show. So I love it. It's hilarious. So that would be one of mine. Another one of mine is going to be Parks and Rec. Also super quotable, just really funny. It actually made me care more about government than I did before watching it. <laughs> so for that, I give it props. You don't expect that from a comedy show, but it was surprisingly um, good at that. And my third one, it's really hard because I do love a lot of TV shows and I watch a lot of crime shows. I watch a lot of dramas, but my other one is also going to be a comedy. It's going to be Psych. I love that show. I love every character on it. It just, it's something I could watch anytime and have like a really good time just watching every episode and I can have it on in the background. It puts me in a good mood. It's a great show. So those would be my TV shows for sure. Hmm. So those are some interesting picks. You know, you know what sucks, Heather? Hmm. Whenever we do these things, because we have so many things in common, uh, the Cinema Slayers, I know you guys are like, what are you talking about? All you guys do is fight and argue and hate what each other says. <laughs> um, 
but at our hearts, we do have a lot of passions and a lot of uh, TV shows and films. So uh, as the narrator or the host of this particular episode, it's going to really suck because I'm going to have to keep coming up with different shit because you've already taken one of my choices. So uh, thank oh, really? you very much, Heather. I didn't expect yeah. that, honestly. <laughs> I'm going to say I did yeah. not expect yeah. that. Um, I mean, I'll say this. Uh, I do. I mean, I like Parks and Rec. Uh and you know, and I like Psych. Um, I think both of those are fantastic TV shows. Um, but ultimately, I'm going to say that because that's yes. a version of a very special word for us tonight. Drink, bitch. Um, I can't say that Parks and Rec is better than mm-hmm. The Office, though. Mm-hmm. Isn't it though? And <laughs> it's it's not. Um, I think the highs of The Office are better than any of the highs in Parks and Rec. Now, the lows of The Office. The lows of the office are worse Much than Parks worse. and Rec lows, but but Parks and Rec can, does not hit the highs the office hits though. Like you might like Leslie and Ben as a couple. I mean, it's a fantastic TV couple, but no way, shape, or form can that ever compete with Jim and Pam. Yeah, you know. And to be fair, I haven't seen nearly as much of the office, so yeah, exactly. So it cannot top. Jim and Pam. That is like if you want to look up the definition of like perfect TV show couple, that's pretty much it. And, you know, Leslie and Ben are like number nine on that list. What about Andy and April, though? I mean, come on. They got to be top five yeah. TV couples, man. I'll put them in the top five. Yeah, maybe, but still, it's it, it's hands down. It's always Jim and Pam. I mean, any couple on Parks and Rec does not even hit anywhere near Jim and Pam. And like I said, that it's just that's my problem with with Parks and Rec is it it's more of a consistent show than The Office because it doesn't peak as high or, or you know, drop as low. It kind of sticks where it needs to be at all times. But just when the office when the office is peak office, that's almost untouchable in so many ways as far as that type of comedy okay. network. Well, show. Here's, here's my thing. I'm a big fan of, of sticking the landing after you do it. And I do agree that why never will have the cultural significance of the office um, and, you know, the star making power that the office had for so many people. I mean, you look at, you know, where some of the people went after that show um, and it really is fantastic. But the ending of Parks and Rec sticks the fuck out of a landing and right in that show should have ended. Yes. And I, I have so much respect for that. You know, um, that I, that's true. Those to me, though, those last two episodes of The Office, the last two episodes of The Office, though, as down as those last two seasons were of The Office, the last two episodes made it worth it, though. I, I think it justified it. I don't know if it made it worth it. I I, um, I enjoyed those last two episodes, uh, but I, I just what man when he gives Pam the teapot letter. Man, man, that's the real shit. Also, Ron Swanson. Then she sells the house. Man, man. But here's the thing. I'm also I'm going to go see Nick Offerman in a few weeks, actually. I'm so jealous. Yeah. Yeah. So me and Randy are going. And so I'm really biased about this. Now, if I was going to see Steve Carell and whoever he's fucking right now, then, you know, that'd probably be different. Now, well, real, real quick, though, like side side note off what you just said. Um. Some of my brother-in-laws had Nick Offerman's dad as a teacher. That is amazing. Because he, he's from here. Oh, I didn't know that. I had no idea. But now it makes it makes so much sense. I want to say he's from Manuka. He's from Manuka, which is just a little bit further uh, west of me. If I'm thinking right, I know he's in this area. His dad taught in Manuka. 
apparently a lot of Ron Swanson was based on his dad. Just like his demeanor and everything like that was like his dad in in person form. Side note for anybody who's anybody who's in Chicago or visiting Chicago, there's also a Ron Swanson restaurant called Whisk, which is breakfast food, obviously. So I think you guys should check That's that out awesome. if you're in Chicago. I did not know that. Have you ever <laughs> tasted the succulent bacon before? I know. I'm so excited about it. What, what'd you say, Devin? Have you ever sampled the succulent bacon there? Have you? I haven't been yet, and I really can't wait to go. I just haven't. I haven't made it out there since I found out that it was a restaurant. But I'm excited. I think that Greg Daniels learned some lessons from his time on the office when he started Parks and Rec. Because one of my favorite things about Parks and Rec, Parks and Rec, is it does initially start as one of those interview shows. And then I want to say at some point in like the fourth season, they just stopped doing that. They stopped having them turn to the camera and saying things and stuff like that. I mean, they always do it with uh, throughout, but they don't do it as much. You're right. I would say maybe in the, like the third season, they they kind of stopped doing it quite as much. But yeah. Well, because I remember Ben doing it a few, but I can't I can't remember a time in the fifth, sixth or seventh season that they like they do those like interviews on the side. I mean, they do them throughout. They definitely have them throughout all of the seasons, but yeah, it's it's just not as much as they did in the first few seasons. Am I right on that, Devin? I think I'm right on that. Yeah, you're right on that. They did, they did, because they start to distinguish themselves as different from the office. That's a, that's how uh, I felt, and too. I think yeah. that's one way that they did. You know, yeah, and you know, sometimes with a TV show, you need to do the formula that works for you, but also you need to learn how to treat yourself. I love it. Absolutely. Like, and I just, I think it's because I just think all of the characters are so unique and just so different and hilarious in their own right. You know, like Donna is a super underrated character. I think she's amazing. And she's probably like the, you know, she's definitely the least well-known of the people on that show. But I mean, her character, man, when, when she has her time to shine, she's so good. She is hilarious. She's to me. She is the Stanley <laughs> of from the office. Yeah, of Parks and Rec. <laughs> and, and I think yeah. that I think that Andy Dwyer was actually Michael Scott if he was Chris Pratt and very adorable. <laughs> I, don't know, I agree. Like I just like no. I just want to clarify like why I think she's the Stanley is because just like Stanley, there's some episodes that you really don't get anything from her. She's just completely a background character. But then those those times where she's like the focus of that scene or like the one delivering the big line or something. Yes. Yeah. Steals everything. Right. And I love how observant she is. She just like gets people. It's so great. And I also like with Andy Dwyer, how he's a completely different character than he was in the first few seasons. Like when they started to kind of get their footing a little bit in the show. I mean, Andy Dwyer was an amazing character. He was so just lovable and clueless. And at the beginning, you're kind of like, eh, I kind of see why she wouldn't want to be with him because he is not a good boyfriend. But when he gets with April, he is like, he's the best husband. And he's just, he came into his own later on in the show. And I think it was actually because he wasn't supposed to be a recurring character. I think he was supposed to be done after the first season. And then I think just he was like a fan favorite or something like that. And they brought him back, but they made him such a better character in like seasons two and three and on. He was just so much better. And I'm glad they did that because he's he's one of the best on the show. 
But I mean, yeah, I mean, there's just you you can't not love Ron Swanson. Like he's just everything he says and does either it surprises you or you're just kind of like, yep, I get that. <laughs> like there's just something about Ron Swanson that no matter what he says or does, you're just kind of on his side all the time. And Leslie is just I feel like if I worked in government, I would probably be Leslie. <laughs> so I don't know. But it, it's just the characters are so well written. And you could tell they're just done with such love and care. And just the fact that they let them just sort of deliver their own lines the way they want and do a lot of ad-libbing and improv. I think it makes it better because you kind of they, they're able to make their characters be more what they would want the characters to be. And I just think that was a smart decision for them to kind of make them, you know, do a lot of the improv lines that they do. Okay, so I want to I want to expand this game. All right. So check this out. If you were going to play the part, I'm going to I want to list it out. Just list it out for the Cinema Slayers in Parks and Rec. Who would you be? So I want to go first. So, Heather, I think you would be a Leslie. No, or an Ann. I can't. I don't know. (laughs) I think you. it's a toss up. But I think nope. Between be. both, yeah. Yeah, I think you'd be either one of those without a doubt. Uh, Justin, you most certainly would be. Oh my God, I'm forgetting his name now. Uh, what's his name? Um, Tom. Uh, yeah, Tom. That's the one that's played by um, uh, the beautiful man person. What is his name? What is his name? Oh no, Chris Traeger. Chris Traeger. Yes, Chris Traeger. Chris you, you Traeger. would be Chris Traeger. You. Yeah. You would be. You would be Chris Traeger. Sterling. You are you are Ron Swanson without a doubt. <laughs> so it will be Ron Swanson with with a hint of Donna, honestly. <laughs> yeah, with a hint of Donna, uh, and then me. I would probably be um, here. Let me think. I would either be John Ralphio or um. <laughs> I freaking love John Ralphio so much. Yeah, he is the best supporting character ever. Uh, I got run over by Alexis. <laughs> I would be Tom or Tom Haverford, without a doubt. I think those would be my two. I would be one of those, yeah. <laughs> okay. That's now, amazing. Who do you guys, Justin, who do you think people would be in that show? What what characters would you assign the Cinema Slayers? Um, I don't know. I think you nailed it. I think the ones that you said were probably the closest to some of our personality traits. I don't even think I need to go. Like, I think that was a pretty good um, assessment. Yeah. I'll take that back. You would be For like sure, a, Sterling. You would either be uh, Ron Swanson or April Ludgate. I don't know. Depends on the day with you. <laughs> no, I kind of agree with the original sentiment that I'm Ron Swanson mixed with Donna because, you know, where like Ron mm-hmm. Swanson's all about like, you know, meat and whiskey. I'm like, I can get behind that. And then <laughs> Donna with the whole just treat yourself. I'm like, yeah, I'm notorious for that too. So <laughs> I kind of do both. Yep. Sometimes I treat myself mm. with meat treat and whiskey. With meat. That's the sexiest thing I've ever heard saying on Cinema Slayers. And also, like, whenever <laughs> that that episode, what is it? Flu season. Um, oh, I love it. When April's in the hospital and Andy and Ron are hanging out. Yes. And he's like, oh, like, go get this for food. And and he's like, oh, no, you need to go to this place. They've got a burrito called the Meat Tornado. And he's like, says something after that. And Ron goes, you had me at Meat Tornado. Yes. And I'm like, yeah, no, I get that. Or like, you know, like in or the thing like just because I came off a wedding this last week and where I was I was seriously white girl wasted after that wedding. <laughs> um, 
And everybody's like, how hungover were you? And I was like, oh, no, I was fine. I woke up at eight o'clock in the morning. Like, you know, just I was good to go the next day. And it's kind of like Ron, like after they do the whole thing at the snake uh, with the the at the snake hole where everybody gets like snake juice, super drunk juice. What was it called? And everybody's hung over the next day and Ron comes in just and Ron just comes in the next day. Just fine as fuck. Like everybody else is just dead. And (laughs) he's like, here, I just come in and I'm fine. (laughs) Yeah, that's me. After everybody gets like super wasted, they're all dead. And the next day, all I'm thinking is like, I need stupid amounts of greasy, terrible food because I'm starving. Everybody else wants it for like a hangover cure. And I'm like, no, I'm just super hungry. <laughs> so, no, I, I, I do agree with that because I do. I do kind of have the attitude, though, of Donna. And, I, you know. All right. Well, let's keep this gravy train rolling. Um, in the immortal words of Tommy Wiseau. Oh, hi, Mark. Jason, it's your turn. Okay, so <laughs> my three favorite television shows. Man, this is really tough for me because there's been so many just over the years that I've watched. But um, <clears throat> but I'm a fan of a bunch of different genres. So uh, so one of them definitely for me is definitely The Office. I'm pretty sure that. And so when you said Parks and Rec, and I really enjoyed Parks and Rec. I thought Parks and Rec was awesome. But for me, definitely uh, The Office is one of my favorites. It's one of the few television series that I've watched multiple times. Anytime I've got 20 minutes to spare or I'm doing something, it's just so easy to jump on Netflix and just watch an episode and I always wind up laughing or it's fun to just recall different episodes and funny situations or somebody will say something at my job or something or do something or they'll have a characteristic that kind of reminds me of one of the characters on the show because I've worked at a lot of jobs that kind of have that office kind of setting to them. So that's definitely one of my favorite shows. I would definitely say The Office is one of my favorite shows. And then another one of my favorite shows, and I'm going to go animate it, um, but Batman the Animated Series, I think, is one of my favorite television shows also. A lot of times I notice that when people talk about television shows, I don't know if we've had a guest yet mention any of the animated TV shows, but Batman the Animated Series was a milestone for animated television because it had a lot of darker themes. There was a lot of um more adult themes and things like that. And it really brought to life the 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 Batman comics that we had at the time where he took on darker themes in the comics and everything was um a lot of different undertones and it really showed kind of what Bruce Wayne has to go through being a businessman and also what he goes through when he puts on the cape and cow fighting crime. So I really thought that that was an awesome series. A lot of people think that Mark Hamill's uh, voice work as the Joker, a lot of people still consider the Batman, the animated series Joker, the, the definitive best Joker, definitive portrayal, the definitive Joker, and Kevin fucking yeah. Conroy, motherfuckers. Y'all even yeah. know that name, Kevin Conroy. Kevin yeah, fucking Conroy. Yeah, um, do some of my own work, motherfucker. Yeah, a lot of a lot of people consider that um, the the best versions of the characters that they're been. The Harley Quinn character. Which, if I'm not mistaken, was created by that show. Damn right. Became a staple character 
in the DC universe. And now she's one of the most revered characters in all of comics, but she was created on that show. So this show has always kind of had its handprint on the Batman lore, even years after it was gone. And I can't, and the music in this. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. And like the the music. Danny Elfman. Yep, Danny Elfman. Yes, the musical compositions of this show. There were so many memorable tunes and stuff like that. What the work that they did with the Batman theme, the opening, um, the opening of this animated series where you see the 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 burglars in the shadows walking away from this building the building explodes there's police officers batman's trying to find them i mean it's such a great opening man and then he leaves them there for the cops the camera scales up and batman is looking over the city of gotham i mean there's just i mean that has got to be one of the greatest openings in a television show and and i mean i could sit here and talk about all of the villains that were portrayed well in this show i love the riddler in this show mr freeze i thought was a great standout villain in batman the animated series uh um i just want to add something with that uh with with because you brought up mr freeze um mr freeze in the comics was actually considered just a joke character up until the animated series the animated series is what gave him that tragic backstory of his wife is sick. He froze her trying to cure her. And then a lab accident caused his condition. That story arc that is the quintessential definitive Mr. Freeze story arc started because of the animated series. That makes me so happy. And then the I did not know Mr. that. Freeze, I'm sorry. I just love was how Shakespearean he was and the way he spoke. He was like, Oh, the cold wind that blows in is nothing compared to the chill in my soul when I think of my sweet Morgana or whatever the fuck her name was. He was always just so, yes, so yes, poetic. Yes, man. Yeah, just, so poetic, oh, man. Jesus, man. Yes, it man. It was so romantic. You know, so, his, his, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, um, but, but just to wrap it up, yeah, so... Obviously, there are just a number of things to appreciate about that show, but that is an animated show that I just remember growing up and I just remember had I had to be home. I had to I rode the school bus and I just remember running home so that I could make it in time to see that show. And at that time, just that mid to late 90s lineup of shows, that was just one of the shows that. I really thought was a standard bearer for any show about a comic book character. And I remember, I re- and if I'm not mistaken, it debuted in prime time and it was doing just as good a ratings as some of your prime time shows at that time, which was unheard of for an animated cartoon at that time to be in prime time and doing so well. So Definitely Batman the Animated Series. I can't have a list like this and not think about it when I think about television shows. And then uh, last but not least. Can I add just a fun little tidbit? I'm sorry. I hate that I'm interrupting you, but I'm going to do it anyway. Oh, no. Sure, sure. Go ahead. No, this is Batman, yeah, dude. Got to talk Batman. about it. So, you know, I, for you guys who don't understand is uh, us Cinema Slayers in one way or another have been connected or good friends for years and years. I mean, Sterling and Heather have been friends for at least five years. 
Um, and then, you know, uh, me and Sterling have been friends for 15 years. And me and Jastin have been friends since we were just kiddos. So me and Jastin actually at one time lived on the same street. But he's older than me, so he would get out of school before I did. And so sometimes I would be running home trying to get to watch TV and I wouldn't be able to make it. So I would go to Jastin's house and watch like Spider-Man or Batman yep, yep. and then go home <laughs> yes. afterwards because I didn't want to miss it because this is way before DVR or streaming services or anything. So uh, if you're a younger person and you are listening to this, you like old people. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, I definitely have to put Batman up there as one of my favorite shows. And then my last one, and I think this will be out of left field a little bit for some people, because when I hear about best television shows and stuff like that, this never, ever gets mentioned, which makes me wonder, man, am I the only person that feels like this? But the last show that I want to talk about is 24. So. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Oh, God. I knew somebody wasn't going to like it. But but for me. <laughs> I absolutely love 24. I'm I'm a big fan of like James Bond. I love action films. I love the Jackie Chan movies and stuff like that. So uh, anything that's about a cop and they're going into this situation and they've got to do some more secret agent or government agent. And he's a good guy and he's fighting all of these people and terrorists and stuff like that. That was just stuff. I always loved growing up. And at the time when 24 came out, I just thought it was such an awesome show because the formatting and the presentation of the show really is memorable. Like this idea that every episode takes place in real time, as they used to say. And obviously, you know, it was chopped and edited, but I just loved when during certain parts of the show, it would when it would break and you, and and it was almost like a live action comic book and you would see all these different blocks of all these characters doing different things and there's this timer running yeah. down constantly and i just loved the tension that that added to the episodes i thought that Kiefer Sutherland is Jack Bauer i mean for 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 a long time jack bauer was like my favorite agent i used to sit there and think like man i wonder if he could take bond or i wonder who went out of him and jason bourne because i loved the jack bauer man i thought that some of the situations he was put in um the the things that he had to go through how he would escape traps or how he would get tortured and still have that mental and physical toughness to come back. I really just enjoyed this character. And Keith and um, Kiefer Sutherland is always an actor that I respected. So seeing him um, in that role, I thought that this was one of his best roles. I thought that he really brought that character to life. And there were good supporting characters as well. I, I I seem to remember, and there are so many, there were so many different seasons, but it was just an interesting show how you would have the president would be on the show and he would be played by any number of actors. I remember Dennis Haysbert stands to mind from, I want to say, either the second or the third season because, you know, that was one of the first shows where I, for yeah. that long a time, there was this black president. And it was interesting because he was going through all these different things and he had this 
office cabinet. And of course, there were wolves in the fold. And then he'd have to consult with his wife. So, you know, you had all these different storylines going on. And then you had Jack's supporting cast, um, Chloe, who was almost kind of like an oracle or almost like that. Like she was um, like on his um, was part of his radio team and she could hack computers and pull up maps and topography of different places and help Jack get out of these tough situations. I really liked that character. And I liked all the conflict that was even happening at the counter-terrorist unit, CTU. There'd be these little storylines within storylines. And I just loved the speedy, almost frantic pace of the show. And the last thing I'll say about it is sometimes, man, the season finales, I know that the season finale of the um, first season of 24, which is the season where Jack and he had his family, they were captured. Yeah. And his wife winds up dying at the end of that. So I guess I should have said spoilers, but uh, if you haven't seen it by now, then okay, yeah, whatever. But it's so good. But yeah. Like when his wife died at the end of that, a lot of people say that that is one of the best season finales in television. Like, I know that a lot of people look yeah. back at that and say that is one of the greatest season finales ever was what happened to this Jack ba Bauer character. And through the duration of time that 24 was on TV, it was always regarded as one of the best shows on television took home a ton of rewards, took home a bunch of Emmys, and of course, several characters, um, several actors got rewarded for their time on that show. So that is another show I will never forget. So I'm happy to put 24 as the final on my list. Yeah, I mean, that finale, like for me, it was unexpected. I did not see that coming yeah, just because yeah. of everything that she she and the daughter both survived for that whole first season. And then just out of nowhere, you feel like you're like, oh, that just happened. And it really just was like one of those jaw dropping moments, I think. Yeah. Because I was like, that really just happened. Like the whole reason for this whole season, like he was going after it because he wanted to save his family. And this is what happened. It was surreal. But it was it, it was impactful for sure. Yes. And it was a really good like it was a good motivator for the coming seasons and his mindset. And it was it was very well done. Yes. Yes, I totally agree. And like you said, I'm glad that you put that in there, that it really shaped that character after that season and how cautious he was and how he kind of became distant from his daughter and. Like how he would get drowned into his work or he would want to then certain seasons he would want to quit or other seasons he would. So I just loved that character and all those things that they put him through and he had to go through. I just really think he was he was one of the coolest characters that I've seen on TV. I just I'll never forget Jack Bauer. Yeah. So and that definitely was For one sure. of the reasons. So. Yeah. And Sterling, I'm sure you 100% agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to add a couple of things to some of Justin's thing. Um, I do want to touch on Batman the Animated Series because uh, another thing with Kevin Conroy that people might not realize is that show came out in 1992. And pretty much since that moment, Kevin Conroy has been the voice of every animated version of Bruce Wayne and or wow. Batman since then. Um, 
I mean, even most of the movies, the Arkham games, the movies, uh, I think there's a couple, you know, little things here and there. He wasn't he wasn't that. But every pretty much every animated series of Batman, with the exception of the old like Adam West versions of it back in the day, it's been Kevin Conroy. He's been that guy for so long that essentially, I mean, that means he's been a Batman for like two generations of kids watching Batman. That's. You know, yeah. the voice of Batman is Kevin Conroy. Yeah. And-, and like, I totally agree with that, man, because even when I read a Batman comic today, I hear his voice like anytime. Yeah, I do. I, I don't know about you guys, but I hear his voice. That's the voice of Batman that I hear. Or when I'm looking at something or somebody posts a meme and Batman is saying something or whatever the case may be. I always imagine it as Kevin's voice. So I, I totally agree with that. I can't imagine another voice. Yeah. You know, and, you know, I he's can't. the Optimus Prime of Batman when it comes right down to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it's funny. It, it's funny that you say that, Justin, because one thing I've always wanted to hear is I've always wanted to hear Kevin Conroy give that line from I want to say it's all star Batman and Robin the Boy Wonder issue three. Where Batman says to Robin, I'm the goddamn Batman. Yes. Like, I want to hear (laughs) Kevin Conroy give that line. Man, that would be so awesome. But yeah, that is an infamous line from that comic series of unforgettable line. Now I hear it all the time. (laughs) But I want to hear Kevin Conroy say that line. I think that would actually change people's minds. If they heard Kevin Conroy actually say those words, they'd probably be like, that's a pretty Batman thing to say. All right, so on to 24. Um, Some of my biggest problems with 24 is, A, the shit they claim that they do in an hour is fucking ridiculous (laughs) and really damages what is what they, like, they consider that, you know, one of the big cruxes of the show that, like, a whole season takes place over 24 hours and that it's structured so. And it, some of those things are just utterly fucking ridiculous and it, it breaks their own rules. So I don't like that they establish these rules that then they just go break fucking left and right. And I'm like, what's the point of having these rules if you're just going to break them instantly? And then on top of that, to me, 24 is that, that type of show that people that, uh, essentially hate the constitution and want to think that, uh, torture works for getting information. Their Bible for that is 24 because that's 90% of what ends up fucking happening is he tortures people and he gets information, which is scientifically proven to be ineffective with whatever reason people think that. So like when you have the CIA torturing people, I'm pretty sure they think it works because 24 said so. Godly, I hope not. But yes, I will admit they do have a lot of, but there is a lot of torture in that show. (laughs) He gets tortured and he tortures others. Now I could be wrong because I haven't seen I haven't seen all of it, but has did they ever get misinformation from torture? Because that's what happens realistically. <laughs> yeah, and that's the bad thing about torture is because when people are when people are being tortured, they'll say anything just out of the torture stop. And that's why more often than not you get inaccurate results from torture because they're saying anything just to get the torture to stop. You know, I'm sure if you torture me enough, I'm going to say Barbara Streisand is actually you know, an alien dog. I mean, I have nothing to back that up, but I'll say it to get somebody to stop torturing me. (laughs) True that, true that. And just to say, I do agree with you, though, about the whole hour thing. Like, 
how could every how could the bottom of every hour possibly end right. with a cliffhanger or something crazy happening right as the timer goes off? So yeah, there were a lot of like contrived things about that. But I don't know, man. I just didn't care. I, I thought it was kind of cool. I just thought it was a interesting way of presenting the show. It's good so TV, I didn't really get honestly. Too, yeah. Yeah. I just thought it was fun. It was just good TV. And it was just so different from everything else. And then even just the labels of the episodes, like when you buy a DVD of it or see a DVD of it, it's really neat to just see like episode one, 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Episode two, 10 a.m. to 11. You know, I just thought that was just so neat. I just thought that was a very interesting concept, you know, but you are right. It was totally like I agree with that. I mean, it's a very novel thing. It's it's cute and all. But like I said, they don't follow it. So, I mean, it's it's just like, what's the point? I mean, I can sit there and do that with anything. You know, I can sit there and say, oh, this is the cutest thing ever. And it just be like a rotting dead fox. But I said it was cute. So it's fine. Say, what's the point of saying something if you're if it's obviously not true? That's my problem with it. Is it's just an inherent lie that they still try to strictly hold on to? Hmm. I don't know. If, but what do you? Will you say they lied? Like, I mean, like, like, are you talking like when they would say, "I'll get there at the bottom of the hour," and really, it probably would have taken more than an hour's time to get there, but they get there, like well, stuff like that. Well, some of that, but I'm just saying. I'm saying, but like you even said so yourself, all the things that could like happen in an hour, like, yes, they stretch, they stretch that. Like you said, every hour, something cliffhanger is happening at, you know, the 55 minute mark. Yeah. And, (laughs) and things like that. And so like, that's my problem with it is the fact that it's, it's not structured as it would be. Like, it's not, it, it, it says it is, it's labeled as so. It's labeled like this happened between 9 and 10 that day. This happened between 10 and 11 that day. But it didn't actually, when the story unfolds, it's not unfolding like what would happen within hours of a day. There are times people are traveling distances that couldn't realistically be traveled in that amount of time. You know, they're capturing and interrogating and gaining intelligence in the span of like 20 minutes in some cases. And that's not how those processes actually work. A lot of TV shows do that. Like when you watch Law and Order, you know, they make it seem like every, you know, murder or rape that happens on those shows gets solved within two days and they're going to court like four days later. But the thing about those shows, if, if you notice, they're very like quick to not typically give you defined amounts of time that have passed. So if somebody were to bring that up to them, they could say, oh, no, that took place over 30 days. It was just about that case, though. You know, they give that vagueness because it has to have vagueness or otherwise it would be the most unreal, like unrealistic and ridiculous thing ever. And the fact that that 24 fall ends up doing the same things that a lot of procedural shows do, but then claims there are strict time limitations on it all makes it that much worse. Because to me, it, it just seems like they're saying it for the sake of saying it without actually doing anything to justify why they say it. I see. Yeah. Okay. I, I can see that point. I definitely see that. Because, because like a lot of procedural shows have like fucked up people's views on how things actually work. You know, when you have like a murder case or a kidnapping or just anything like that, like shows like CSI and Law and Order and Law and Order SVU have warped people's perceptions on how much time some of those things take. You know, 
the amount of time it takes to gather information and to interview witnesses and to follow up leads and to even find new leads to process DNA, to process any evidence, fingerprints, all these things. These shows make it seem like it is just, you know, 30 minutes tops to process a DNA sample, you know, that it's, you know, 20 minutes after a murder, the Emmy's done doing, you know, an autopsy. And it's vastly warped people's perceptions on how long, like, the criminal justice system takes to sometimes do things. I think in the case of counterterrorism, 24 has done the same thing, but a little worse because they've strictly held to the fact that this is 24 hours and they're doing stuff in that that sometimes it takes the CIA like months and months and months and months of gathering intelligence to figure out and do. You know, they make it seem like the CIA has tabs on every single person on Earth at all times. And how long did it take to find Osama? Finding Osama bin Laden proved mm-hmm. how hard that is sometimes yeah. to track down single people. And 24, they're able to do it. You know, they'll find, they'll like, oh, we need to find this person. And they find him within an hour. Like, that is insane sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> like, I would understand if they're like, we need to find this person. And then like five episodes later, they find them. Maybe I'd get that. And to be fair, sometimes they, that did happen, though. And to be fair, not everything on the show was like that. Sometimes it did take a few episodes or he didn't find the guy to the end or, you know, when he finally finds the guy, he gets captured at the same time. I mean, that did happen. But yes, there are yes. a lot of um, examples where it didn't. But what happens more often than not, though? Yeah, you got to have some sort of. And, you know, sometimes they would when they show the comic book blocks or whatever, they would show a character doing something at the same time this other character was doing something. So, yeah, like you said, they tried to present it that way. But, yeah, we know that things take more time than what was presented (laughs) on the show. Like, like, honestly, if they hadn't put those that essentially the specific time constraints that they are artificially putting on it and then just presented it as like a narrative and just really kind of didn't point out to time at all. I think the show would have worked better. Yeah. But I think there's, there's like a, there's a, an area of just you're suspending your disbelief. Like there is with a lot of other shows too. So I think that the people going into it that like this show, yeah, they know that there's going to be that element. And I think they want that element. So I don't think anybody really goes into it knowing or thinking that it's like, this is super realistic as to how it's happening. I think it's just like any other action or superhero type of show where it's like, we want to see the the craziness of like, this is not possible what we want to think it is, you know? But that's the thing is they didn't build it like that. They built it as like, this is 24 hours. Even commercial breaks were equated for in the length of episodes as far as time passing. That was the whole, like, they they didn't equate it like that. They were like, this is the most realistic show ever because it's 24 hours and it really happens in 24 hours. And that's how they build it every time I saw a commercial for it. They were just like, like trying to throw down your throats that like, this is real shit. This is the real (laughs) counterterrorism happening. And that's just blanketly not true. Well, I don't know if I, mean, I go I as far as to say, I don't think they said, the yeah, they didn't say this is how real terrorism works. But yes, they did advertise that it takes place within 24 hours. And you're right. They did try to stick like when you came back from a commercial, that timer was still going and characters were still doing stuff, which 
is just a cool gimmick. Yeah, there are holes in it. Yeah, there are, but it was just a fun gimmick, man. It just made the show stand out. It made the show different. And I mean, yes, a lot of things on it were implausible, but I mean, but you could say that about any show, man. I mean, I put the office on my list. But man, half of the shit that Michael Scott was doing as a boss of that job, he'd have been fired the second or third day he was at work. I mean, let's let's just be real here. I mean, like some of the stuff I mean, some of the stuff he said to his bosses like David Wallace and stuff and Jan, man, that dude wouldn't have had that job for five minutes. You know what I mean? So like at some point, you're 100% right like that. But that's, I'm just saying, that's not what they build the show as, though. They didn't build the, like, they didn't build the show to its audience. Like, you need to suspend disbelief. They build it as hyper-realism. And so that whenever you watch the show and you realize that's not what it is, then that whole countdown timer thing and the way they number their episodes and all that stuff then just becomes completely superficial. And I think that's why the, what is a, what's supposed to be a big crux of the show and a big you know, draw for the show becomes just an incredibly superficial, just bullshit reason. And I think that's why it bothered me so much. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, with that being said, with that being said, Sterling, you've been so vocal about other people's top three. What is your top three, my man? Okay. So first and foremost, because I've said this on a billion episodes already, first and foremost, the number one TV show of all time, let alone of just my personal favorites, is and always will be The Wire. I mean, it's it is the definition of how to make essentially a perfect show. A, it goes five seasons long. And to me, that is actually the perfect length of time uh, for a TV show is five seasons. Very rarely do shows go beyond that and legitimately work. Now, I know some of the ones we've talked about went longer than that. I know The Office went longer than that. Uh, I think The Office could have gone a little over five seasons, but definitely not as long as it did. Um but five seasons just always felt great to me and just how it was like it dropped you into Baltimore at that time. Like it's like if it picked you up like you were a sim and just took you to Baltimore and just dropped you in Baltimore at that time. No like pretext or anything just drops you in and says, figure out what's going on. This is a ride. That's what the wire did. And it's just everything about it was just such beautiful. So beautifully done the way the seasons are done. Uh, where each season kind of has a mini theme within itself. Like there's the overarching theme of the show when it comes to like the task force trying to take down uh, a lot of the different drug elements uh, happening in the city of Baltimore. Um, But each season also has like a sub theme and it also ties in to those, you know, those sub themes, how the drug culture affected those things. You know, some things that you wouldn't think about, like how does the drug culture affect union jobs and, you know, uh, and the way, you know, those happen and things like that. Just every time, every season did, it was great. I loved it. It has some of the most interesting characters you'll ever see on TV. Uh, I mean, Omar to me is one of the most beautifully acted and written characters that you will ever see in a TV show. And to me, almost that character alone is worth watching that entire show. But it has so many other interesting characters. Uh, It has my favorite scene. In all of television, there is a scene where two detectives are looking over a crime scene and they all they do 
to communicate with each other for about seven minutes straight <laughs> is just saying the word fuck. Yeah, I remember that one. In various ways. And it's so beautifully done. I mean, Isaiah Whitlock Jr. has an iconic line from that movie that he was actually able to put into Black Klansman. Uh, and it still works. Um, <laughs> it's it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. I just I cannot stress to anybody how much they need to watch The Wire. Also, in 25th Hour, he does it. Sorry. 25th Hour, he does it. Yes. Yes. He does it in a few different movies. But, I mean, it, it, I think it's great that it started in The Wire. And he's kind of made, like, a little mini career off of it. And it's great. She. And the last one he does when he's about to go down, he's like, she is great. It's fantastic. Carcetti, foo. Um, but it was just, it was, to me, that show was hyper realism like it should be done uh, because it legitimately feels like you are in Baltimore. You are on the streets. You are seeing corner boys. You are seeing stick up men like so much so that some of the people in that show were legitimately people from that culture that they just got to be in the show. You know, there were people that were just active criminals at the time that they just got to be in that show. And it's just utterly fantastic for that. Uh, number two was a little hard for me, but it it has to go on this list because it's probably the show I've seen hands down more than anything ever. Uh, and that would be The X-Files. Um, I have seen every single episode of The X-Files multiple times. Uh, and that does even include the the two like mini seasons they've done since since the show went off the air with seasons 10 and 11. Uh, I've read multiple comic books. I've watched the, the movies multiple, 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 multiple times. Um, I love the way that the first movie just kind of folds itself into the TV seasons, um, which was a, a bold choice to do for a movie because the movie itself, the first movie itself takes place between two seasons of the show. So one season ends then the movie happens and then the next season begins. But if you didn't see the movie, it doesn't make as much sense because the way the last season ended and the way the next season begins doesn't make sense to you if you did not see the movie. And I think that was a really bold choice on their part. Now, I'll be the first one to tell you, it's not always the easiest show to watch. Um, it has a lot of, a lot of duds, <laughs> uh, if you will. Um, but it's when the X-Files is clicking. And when the X-Files is doing it right, there are very few shows out there that can even touch it with how good those episodes are, especially with how it kind of brought that government conspiracy alien sci-fi type of, of show into the mainstream. I mean, at one point, sci uh, the X-Files was one of the biggest shows out there. Yep. And the fact that a show like that was able to hit that kind of speaks for itself. And on top of that, it brought you David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson who are completely uh, fantastic actors. Um, you know, if you haven't seen Californication, you have to go see that because that's amazing too. But just, but yes, just, I mean, like David Duchovny is Fox Mulder and, you know, like the whole, the truth is out there, trust no one, you know, those things, you know, the way they were able to, they've had some episodes that were incredibly meta and made fun of the X-Files and its culture. Uh, but in doing so, still kind of stay true to what the X-Files was. And that those were always great. Um, I mean, when you had the cigarette smoking man, who's a per like personal <laughs> idol of mine, because um, I smoke a lot of cigarettes, but that guy still puts me to shame. Um, 
I mean, the whole thing, like, you know, the Morley cigarettes, like it's, you see Morley's in a show, it's, it's a reference to the X-Files. I don't think, if I'm remembering correctly, Morley cigarettes did not debut in the X-Files. I think they debuted in a different show. But if you see Morley's in something now, it's a reference to the X-Files. That's just what it is. Um, it's just a beautiful show overall. And these, these two little mini seasons they did kind of actually started the whole trend of bringing shows back for just like little short runs. Uh, you know, they're the ones that kind of started that. And that first one was okay. It was only six episodes. So it's not like they could hit any sort of real stride in six episodes. But this last one they did, that's season 11. If they end it with that, they probably fixed what was a mediocre ending to the original run of the show. And they they fit it with an ending that would work great if they want to continue on. They, it, you know, give you something else to dive into. But then at the same time, if they don't continue on, and that is the last X-Files anything we get, it is the perfect way to end X-Files. Because there's a little bit of mystery. There's a little bit of, wait a second, what about this? Or, you know, kind of leaving some of those questions up in the air. And at its heart, that's what the X-Files is about. Still having questions, no matter what answers you get. And I, I think that was the most just wonderful way to end that show. And... This last one might throw some people for a loop because a lot of people that know me might think I might say something like Murder, She Wrote. Yes, I love Murder, She Wrote. Uh, I have seen every episode of Murder, She Wrote. Um, Angela Lansbury. Because I've watched it off and on. Yes, I've watched it off and on for, I don't know, how old am I now? 32? Uh, so I've just, I've watched that for years and years and years and years. Anywhere I can find it, I you know, I'm like, oh, Murder, She Wrote's on. I'm watching it. Um, but it's not that. Uh, another show I'm notorious for watching a lot, especially on Thursdays and Fridays when the uh, Sunday channel has a little marathon, it, is the original Law and Order. Uh, I think over the years, I've probably seen every episode of that. If I haven't seen it, I don't even know it because I've seen a lot of them. A lot, a lot, a lot of them. I love that show. I think it's great. I think Jack McCoy is the best TV lawyer that has ever existed. I love that guy so very much. But it is not that either. The third show I'm going to say on this list has to be Netflix's Sabrina or The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. That that show, when I watched it a few weeks ago, really kind of, of changed things for me. I think I was a huge fan of those comics and I was really kind of upset because they kind of stopped doing the comics because the writer of the comics started was the show creator of Riverdale. Then once Riverdale kind of went on its break, he started writing it again, but then he stopped again. And it turns out he stopped it again because he started doing Sabrina, the show. And when I watched the show, everything I liked about the new version of that Sabrina character in that in that comic uh, was done just even a little bit better in the show. Like they don't stay true to the comic whatsoever. Uh, one of the things you see, I think, in the third episode of the show is one of the last things you see in issue five of the comic. Um, and there's only seven of them. So. You know, they don't stay true to that, but, oh, they capture the feeling of it and they kind of amplify it just a little more. They have this really great way of balancing these sinister and dark, dark themes with just like this hint of 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 pureness and innocence and like genuine kindness at so many points. And the way they're they're able to balance those with ever without ever going to like a cheesy part to it. It never goes cheesy. It gets on that edge. It gets really close to that edge, but it never actually gets cheesy. And also, I can't think of a single character in that show that was miscast. 
I think every single person in that show is just the most perfect person in the world to play the roles that that were written, you know, and I I can't stress how well they did so much. And if you go and look at Cousin Ambrose, he is my favorite character in the show. He is just fantastically done as a character written and fantastically acted. His scenes are just the best. He steals almost every scene he's in. And, you know, he has these, he has like charm sometimes. And then there are times that like, he's a little bit mischievous. And then there are the times where he's, you know, like thoughtful and helpful with his cousin. And then there are times that he's like very stern and, you know, like, what the fuck are you doing, Sabrina? And he he just balances every one of those aspects like uh, like a person actually would. It doesn't feel like there's ever transitions. He does it like what people do. And that's sometimes a hard thing for TV shows and movie characters to do. They don't actually portray those emotions and go through those emotions like people actually do. And he does it just impeccably. And everybody should watch it because who doesn't have Netflix at this point or at least having a friend's Netflix password. Everyone in America has either Netflix or a Netflix password and they need to watch it because it is by far one of the best things I've seen put forth in a television like medium in just years. But the cinema slayers would never condone you illegally watching any forms of entertainment. (laughs) So if you can make sure that you are always paying for those subscription services to provide it for you at an affordable rate. Oh, no, I, I, I do completely agree with you, Devin. And that's why I'm poor is because I have paid subscriptions to just about <laughs> everything you can have a paid subscription to. Um, so, yes, I do agree with you because I very much am all about paying for that stuff. Because I do want to just sort of touch on some of the ones that you mentioned, Sterling. Um, the Wire, first of all. I haven't actually finished it. I actually recently started watching that show because I've heard so many good things about it. And I'm like really behind the curve on this one. But that show is so well done because it's probably one of the one of the shows I've seen that is the most accurate in just how everyday life for normal human beings would be in that setting. And I really appreciated how they did that. So I would agree. Like, I think that show also is, I think, extremely well casted and just the storylines and how, how they just make everything seem like it's not really scripted. It's just sort of life happening. And I think that they capture that better than almost any show I've seen. And I'm only like maybe halfway through the show. So I can't, I, I can only imagine how much better it gets after that. So um, that's a good choice. X-Files, I haven't actually really watched much of. I would say I've maybe seen a handful of episodes. Um, But Sabrina, I do agree. I think that show, like, they just completely redeemed what the 90s sitcom was, and they made it right. They completely redeemed it and did it the right way. Everybody was cast super well. I super agree that Ambrose was amazing um, in that show. And Sabrina... First of all, too, like I have never seen, um, I think her name is Kiernan Shipka. I can't remember how to say her name, but she is 
fantastic and I've never seen her in anything else before. But like just based on this show, I feel like she's going to have a really long, amazing career ahead of her. Um, so yeah, I, I started watching that show a few weeks ago and the chilling adventures of Sabrina is by far one of the best Netflix original series that I've ever seen. Uh, that probably, um, aside from stranger things, it's the best one I've seen. So, um, I also would recommend that. I think that's a good choice. It's newer, but it's also very, I just, I feel like it's just very well done in how it tells the story, how they do the characters, everything about it is just so well done. So I think that was a good call too. And and one thing else I want to say real quick about Sabrina is it does aesthetically look like it would be kind of like one of those CW or free form, like young adult shows where it ends up having just a stupid amount of, of like gratuitous sex without being like porn, essentially, like, you know, like the PG 13 versions of just gratuitous sex, but this show does this amazing job of having essentially sexy moments without directly being sexual. Like at no point are the themes or the moments meant to be overtly sexual, but they do have like a sexy quality to them at those times when it's appropriate. Yeah. And there was just a really interesting way of handling it when, you know, most shows wouldn't have that kind yeah. of strength. And honestly, it was just beautifully shot. Like some of the shots in that in that move in that show are so well done. Like it's beautiful how they do it. Well, that was a uh, really astonishing picks. You know, some I expected and then some, uh, you know, with Sabrina, I didn't <laughs> I didn't expect. Sometimes uh, Sterling likes to use hyperbole in order to get his point across but I, I now know he has I'm, I'm really surprised that you didn't talk about Buffy at all uh, but um, you know that's that's I really would I thought I was like Sterling's gonna say Buffy and you didn't say it I was like holy shit that's crazy <laughs> I think with with Buffy I think I think if Sabrina keeps going on like I know they're supposed to do like another version of Buffy they're, they want to do another series of Buffy like a reboot series of it um, but I think if if they do continue on with Sabrina, I think it has the potential to be a, a, essentially a better version of what Buffy was, uh, balancing those dark themes with, you know, the the lightheartedness sometimes of what teenagers are and stuff like that. Uh, I think it really does have the potential to completely surpass what Buffy did for that type of character, even like that, just the the strong, you know, empowered female character. Sabrina does that. I think just as good, if not better than Buffy did over all of its seasons. Yeah. In its first season. A lot of the female characters in that show, actually. But yeah, I agree. Well, you bunch of sons of bitches didn't make this easy for me. Now I understand what Sterling goes through every week after everybody speaks. So without further ado, I present to you my top three TV shows. Now, when I think of my top three, this isn't about being objective. This is what had the most impact on me. So my criterion are one rewatchability. What have I watched a thousand times over and I look forward to seeing again? Um, two, um, critical reception. Uh, how is it viewed by the people who actually review things and watch things and all do all that stuff? Three, um, it's cultural significance. And then for its overall reception, that's critics, that's fans, that's everybody. So, Heather, you 
Sly Minshew took Parks and Recreation for me. <laughs> and I don't think I can say more than what has been said. Um, the only thing that I can say that may not have been said already is that what I enjoy about Parks and Recreation was its strong female lead and strong female characters. Yeah. Um, they really took their time to develop and make it center stage. And it's hard to find a comedy show that is so female led. Um, and, and, the, and the characters are so memorable. Uh, I think one of the reasons why people don't want to put up against the office is a cultural thing. I think they don't want to give the credibility to a woman that they would do a man. And I'm not saying this group here on this podcast, but I'm just saying as a society, you know, uh, and so there were just great minds behind that show. I have seen that show a, a few times and I enjoy it so much. And I honestly do enjoy it more than I do The Office. I think it's smarter than The Office. I think that the emotions are less wacky and zany and more down to earth and more relatable with a lot of the characters. They're not saying that it's not a wacky and zany That's show. That's true. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, I agree with but that. I think there is just more realism in that show. Um, and I really can identify, even though I said I would be more of a Tom Hatherford or a John Ralphio. Um, I think if you ask me who I really was in Parks and Recreation, it would probably be more of a Leslie L Nope. Um, as a worker, as a as a person, I'm always striving to pursue my passions and do it the absolute best and focus on the smallest details and be the greatest in what I am doing, no matter what I do. Um, so professionally speaking, even when it comes to Cinema Slayers, um, I want to be the best and, and not in a sense of where I'm stepping on other people. But when I walk into a room, when I'm part of a conversation, when I am doing an activity with someone, they can't imagine what it's like being done without me and being completed without me. Um, and when I'm missing from something, I want to be missed. Um, you know, it would uh, it would compel me to become a better friend, a better person if, you know, Justin and Heather and Sterling hung out and they didn't say, man, I wish Devin was here at least one time. Yeah. So and so and, and Leslie Note being a great friend, because I believe she is the greatest friend in TV history. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, I think she's the greatest friend in TV history. She is a model for friendship uh, for broken souls like me who didn't have a fantastic family. Um, she represents the friend that I want to be. So, you know, that's why I love Parks and Rex so much uh, and everything else everybody said already. Um, my next show, uh, Sterling, the master cunt over here, <laughs> took it from me, which is The Wire. I really, while I was listening to you guys speak over the past, you know, 80 minutes or so, I was really genuinely trying to find a show that I loved more than a wire and, and, and Sterling explained so many things. But um, as a as a person of color, as a black man in this country, um, if you want to understand what it's like to be a minority, if you want to understand what it's like to be marginalized, generalized, um, to be disenfranchised, the wire is a good place to start. It doesn't tell the whole story, but it tells a lot of it. Uh, over the summer, I had a, actually an opportunity to go to Maryland and work with some of the youth 
um, in that area. And I saw some of the characteristics of those youth from some of the kids in the wire. And I knew that they came from some of the same places um, and how just how realistic and how authentic and, and how gut wrenching and unflinching and beautiful and tragic um, that show is makes it the best show for me. But all of those shows didn't have as much impact on me as this last one I'm going to mention. I don't want to take too much time. And if I am going to go on a tangent, it will be about this show. And this is something nobody said, and I'm really glad, and I didn't expect anybody to say, but my number one show that had the most impact on me as an individual um, is actually uh, Cowboy Bebop. It's an anime. If you're an anime fan, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Everything from the music of that show, the characters, the animation style, the visuals, the meaning, the messages. It's a beautiful beautiful examination into the human psyche every single character is important in this show it's 25 episodes and it's the anime that taught me that anime is more than just people screaming and 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 you know chakra or chi or energy coming out of people's hands or you know finding an inner power at the last second second. It, (laughs) it opened up the complexities of the human mind and psyche and spirit um there are episodes of that show i have cried on i still listen to the music at least once a week yoko kano is a god um when it comes to composing music yes um and yeah got it on my phone too man it's it's just amazing (laughs) and i saw cowboy bebop decade like it has to be almost like a decade and a half ago and it's had such such a profound effect on me and how I am as a person. Um, the ending of the series is what I want to talk about. So at the end of most episodes, it would say, see you later, Space Cowboys. Now, there's some differentiation between there. But on the very last episode, it says you're going to carry that weight. So as a boy, when I watched that, I took it as a question. Are you going to carry that weight? which means what I was going through in my life at the time, was I going to continue to let that hinder me, stop my growth, and was I going to make that my life? As a man, after I rewatched it a few times, it became a command. Um, I thought that I had figured things out with my past and who I was and what it meant. And I thought that I knew where my journey was going to end. And watching that again let me know that I would never escape my past, that the things that were put into me at a young age were a part of me, um, and there was nothing I could do to escape it. And then now, as a father, as a husband, as a friend, as a mentor, it's a fact is that I have to embrace the weight of my life that I can no more escape the weight of my life than I can escape the weight of my body that I carry on my legs. That is a part of me that I have to learn to live and work with every step I take. The characters in Cowboy Bebop are so tragic is because they are controlled and dominated by their past. They repeat the same habits, They um, fall into the same traps. They carry the same grudges. And ultimately, 
for your main character, Spike Spiegel. It ends in his death, but that is the only way he can truly be released from his past. And to me, the message of that series is that you can do two things with your past. You can either end up repeating your past or you can end up using your past as just an example of what not to do in the future. And it's one of the very few black and white lessons that I've learned in my life because I am a person who lives and breathes and and exists in the gray. And I find it really comforting to understand that. So when it comes to being existential and analyzing not just who I am, but who human beings are, who my friends, who my enemies, who the people love me, who the people I love, to the people I hate, to the people who I am completely unconcerned with, I understand that it all comes from a source that's greater than me. And it's something that can connect me to anyone and your pain and your trauma. That's the part of your humanity that can allow you to help heal with other people because everyone feels pain and everyone feels trauma and most people don't know how to deal with it. And it is absolutely beautiful. Um, and uh, that is for me, the greatest show that's ever been created because I've seen it 15 times and I get a new meaning every time I watch it. Yeah. Uh, just to add on to that, man, what an awesome show. And I mean, so many good episodes. Uh, Parat Le Fieu with that. Um, Fou, with the dog. mad. Parole Fieu. Bi- with a bioengineer weapon. The hard luck woman. Um, Black Dog Serenade. Oh, man, there are just so many great episodes. Oh, the Black Dog Serenade. Yep. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody was a good Sympathy episode. And that was oh, cool, too. Like, Yep. Yeah. Like, man, there were just so many awesome episodes. It was so well done. Some of the the, the shots, how they animated the characters, the different points of views and perspectives that you got. I mean, so many innovative things about that show that really just haven't been that have been attempted. The people have attempted to replicate things like that, but nothing's come close to it, man. And and a lot of and just for people out there, it is widely considered the best anime ever. Like a lot of people consider Cowboy Bebop the best that anybody has ever done over when it comes to Japan, Japanimation. So it's widely regarded as one of the greatest shows ever created there. So totally agree, man. It's one of the best. Well, I can safely say that I do agree with you on your first two shows. And then you went anime and fuck <laughs> that shit. Wow. Well, is that it? Any honorable mentions? Nobody had or. Well, there's one I didn't. I And I didn't talk about this one. And I almost did. And really, like for me, I don't know about you guys, but this was really hard for me. And I mean, from day to day, I could have different choices. I mean, like Cowboy Bebop is definitely one of my favorites also. So this kind of goes around and around for me. But there was one other show that I did want to talk about, and that was The Sopranos, man. I really enjoyed The Sopranos. Like, when it first came on HBO, um, especially me being a fan of stuff like The Godfather and Goodfellas and stuff like that, this th- this show, I-, I thought, was just an amazing show. 
And really, it was kind of one of those first shows on HBO that really kind of set HBO apart from other cable networks and other shows at the time because it was so gritty and there were all these themes and you essentially were following this villain of the show, this mob boss, this this Don um, in Tony Soprano. And he had this family and he was going to see this therapist. And so there were all these different layers to this character and his fears and his paranoia and what he would go through. And then you had the family dynamic in there. And it was just such a groundbreaking show at the time for the violence that was portrayed. All of the actors were just spot on and A-list. Um, Eddie Falco, who played his wife in the show, was also great. Carmela Soprano. I mean, there were just so many standout performances. And I mean, to me, that, you know, if it wasn't for that show, you, you I don't know if HBO would have ever gotten to the point of getting something like The Wire and stuff like that, because Sopranos was really kind of that first show where they went, oh, man, people like this. They like the drama of this. They like that gray area that the show represented. They like these layered characters, regardless of what side of the law they're on. And you don't always have to tell this story about a good guy. You can have this story about this person on the other side of the law and it can succeed. And I just remember Sopranos was all the rage when it came out. There are a lot of people that still question how the show ended. <laughs> you know, I don't want to really get into how that show just how abruptly that show ended. But man, what a fun ride that was. And Sopranos is definitely something that I often go back and watch. So I just wanted to mention it. It's an awesome show. I mean, I mentioned I mentioned my honorable mentions during my part. So Heather, honorable mention. Honorable mention. It's really tough because I do have a lot of honorable mentions. I have a lot of TV shows that I really enjoy and admire. Um, I think I'm going to have to go with Friday Night Lights as my honorable mention. Um, I I don't know why and I didn't expect it because I'm just I'm not that person that's into football or anything. But Friday Night Lights, the TV show is much more than just about, you know, the the football part of it. It's the characters and it's the it's the people in the town. And it's just a really well done story. I would say for me personally, apart from The Wire, I feel like the the way they do those characters in that show is just very um, just realistic to how people in Texas at least would be. Um, also like some of my favorite characters, like, um, coach Taylor and his wife are probably my favorite TV couple, at least up there on one of my favorite TV couples of all time. I think they're such a great married couple. I think it's such a great display of what um marriage should look like between people who love each other and just respecting the others and honoring the other and just really not feeling like one should have more of control in a relationship than the other i think they just do that in a beautiful way um just the characters in the town are so great and i don't know if it's maybe because i'm you know from texas or if it's because just I've seen so many people that are actually like the characters that are in the show or just a lot of the really great life lessons that they do, but they, I don't feel like they do them in a cheesy way. 
I just really appreciated the approach they took with how they did this show and they made it just a really um, unique and original thing. And the acting is so great. And I feel like a lot of people got um, their start in this show and um, it just, it's just so well done. And it looks kind of like documentary style, how they shoot it. And it just, it just kind of adds more to the realism of the emotions and the moments of, of what's going on at the time. So for me, I just feel like that is just a really, um, it's a really great show. I think it's just got really standout acting and uh, just, they, they tackle some topics that um, aren't as common as some other shows that I've seen. So I I appreciate it for that. So I would say probably my honorable mention is going to be Friday night lights. Uh, For me, um, my honorable mention is going to be better call Saul. And that's mainly because um, it hasn't finished yet. I believe it's on the path to be one of the greatest TV shows ever hot off the heels and a spinoff nonetheless of Breaking Bad. Uh, when it came to uh, The Wire and Breaking Bad, I was actually really conflicted. Um, and I think what Better Call Saul has done has really just had this nuanced journey between what happens with Saul, Goodman, or Jimmy. Um, and everything that happened before the events of him meeting Walter Wright, that has the amazing uh, direct, uh, di- amazing directing, amazing story, great screen. The dialogue is pinpoint. The story is airtight. Uh, and Better Call Saul is one of the best shows out there. And you will not hear people say that, but you, you need to watch it for yourself. It's it's three seasons, I think right now and um it's fantastic i look forward to just binging the whole damn thing of that so better call saul definitely in my honorable mentions simply because it has not finished yet but i think it's on on the right path all right guys with that being said uh we want to thank all of you for listening uh we appreciate your love and support but like any clingy significant other, we need more. So don't forget to visit our website, cinemasayers.com. Please make sure to go to our shop where you can get some cool Cinema Slayers merchandise. Also, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook and many other forms of social media. And as always, Please like, comment, and share. This is a community. We want to hear from you. What are your favorite TV shows? And we will see you next time for parts two and three of this. Uh, just as a reminder, we'll be going over our favorite <laughs> movies, which will probably be a nine-hour podcast. Just joking. We'll keep it short for you guys or short for us. And then our guilty pleasures when it comes right down to it. So thank you so much for listening. Please join us again and we'll see you next time.